0: Now we're going to continue on. It's actually uh, the, the ninth um, installment of this series on holiness. And, um, and so you may recall last week as we were looking at Romans chapter 8, um, we began to consider the fact that we are in the Spirit and therefore we are under an obligation, the Bible says. So it says we are debtors. So there's an obligation that we would not live and walk after the flesh and, uh, but after the spirit. And so that process involves us putting to death the deeds of the flesh, not the flesh itself, okay, but the deeds of the flesh that can be associated with our carnal nature, with our sinful uh, nature that wants to gravitate sometimes into areas that shouldn't. And so uh, the Bible's giving us instructions. But you see, in the Spirit, we have power. In the Spirit, we, we have all the resources that we've got we, uh, at our disposal to live uh, a life that's free from the power and dominion of sin this morning. Don't you thank God for that? And so, this is what enables us to live as we have been called to live, and that is uh, uh, in holiness, to be holy. For I am holy, as the Scripture declares. And so we've looked and we've covered really quite a lot. But the Holy Spirit is at the foundation of this. He is the source of holiness in that we bear fruit to God. He is the one that empowers us through his power. He's the one that leads us. He teaches us. He guides us into all truth. And so the Holy Spirit that is in us, we are the temple of God. And so the temple of God must be holy as the scripture tells us so in that context we are, you would have noticed in the last week couple of weeks that there's been a shift and in this series we have looked at um, we have considered a number of things that relate to the foundation of holiness which i've made stressed is so important um, because if we're going to look at some of the other aspects that we are taught in the scriptures and the exhortations and the commands, if you want to call those, and the instructions that we are given, then we must understand the foundation and the root. And I pray that we have accomplished that. But see, there are so many New Testament scriptures this morning that we could isolate and examine when we talk about holiness and that which is revealed to us in the New Testament. And as I was pondering this and considering my message this morning, I, I uh, again, it was impressed upon me to, to um, rather than go down those rabbit holes, so to speak, or isolate all those scriptures in and of themselves, but rather stick to the overarching principles that we have been considering in relation to holiness. So. It's those principles that we are wanting to identify. Sure, we're going to be uh, focusing in on various aspects of that, but uh, i want wanting to keep those things in mind because the question that we've been asking is, what is holiness and how is it achieved? It is in Christ, and uh, it is uh, through the Spirit, and uh, it's uh, by the Spirit, and we bear fruit to God. All of those things we've touched upon. But you see, there is this key aspect, and this is really now where we're moving towards in our series, and that relates to the issue of self-effort, which has uh, become and is a controversial uh, point to be making, especially when it is used in error, which it is often. But nevertheless... As I've tried to point out from the beginning, uh, it is there in the scriptures. Undoubtedly, it's there. In fact, um, I'll I'll just quote you in short one, uh, one quote where it says, No teaching on holiness can be strictly true. No teaching on holiness can be strictly true to the New Testament which excludes human effort. Yet... The most strenuous human effort is utterly powerless to affect inwrought holiness. is not that sound like a paradox, right? And it is, because um, with, uh, when we talk about self-effort, there's an extreme and overemphasis on it to, to the point where it's disconnected from the, the root. And that's why I've gone down this pathway this morning, or, uh, over this series, and so, but yet we must, any strict teaching that relates to the doctrine of holiness must take into account this aspect. But in and of itself, that aspect is utterly powerless to accomplish inwrought holiness. Because inwrought holiness is something that is working by the Spirit of God that is transforming us and conforming us to the image of His Son. It's inwrought, it's not something we produce, it's fruit that we bear as we've already established. And so, as we focus on the human side this morning and the issue of self-effort or human effort, on the human side, there must be self-separation. Listen carefully. On the human side, there must be self-separation from all controllable wrong in this life. And there must be complete self-yielding to Christ. And there must be obedience to his written word. And so these come into the practice of holiness in which we are called to be holy. Now remember, holiness this morning is in principle is to be simply to be separate. Okay? Separate. And so that we are to be separated unto God. That's our position in Christ Jesus. We are, uh, have been set apart by God. And yet we are yet called to separate ourselves as well in that when it comes to holiness and it comes to the world around us. When it comes to the world we live in. Because the Bible says we're in the world but we're not of the world. And so um, we're told to not love the world nor the things in the world. So there has to be a demarcation. There has to be a separation. There has to be something identifiable in our lives that says, I am a Christian. I belong to Christ. I follow Jesus. Not to live according to the world, but according to the word. And so let's look at our text this morning in 2 Corinthians Chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 14, and we're going to read through to verse, or chapter 7, verse 1. So, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Do not, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Or what accord or harmony has Christ with the devil or Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out. "'From among them and be separate,' says the Lord. "'Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. "'I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters,' "'says the Lord Almighty. "'Therefore, having these promises, beloved, "'let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit.'" perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now this is a heavy portion of text, really. But Paul is compelled by the Spirit of God to write. And in summary, what Paul is simply saying to the church and by extension to us this morning is, Be holy. Be holy. Live holy. Separate, come out and separate, says God. That's the the emphasis. Now, Paul's heart here is not one of legalism. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If you look at verse 11, he says, O Corinthians, you get a sense of his heart. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. He's not wanting to impose upon them some rule of life and say, here's the, here's the do's and don'ts now that you're a Christian. That's not what Paul's doing. He's actually, he's, he, in his love for them, he's uh, observing aspects of their lives and he's pleading with them in love to separate themselves and to live wholly as God would require them. And so he says in verse 14, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Unequally yoked. You see, there's something about the scriptures this morning that teach us how God does not like to unequally yoke. There's principles in scripture in the same way that we find Paul making reference to, you know, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. You know, is it the ox that God's concerned about? No, right? It's concerned. And so uh, Paul is using that to illustrate something greater. And so, too, when Paul uses the phrase, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, uh, we can see in Scripture how God does not like to yoke together things that uh, that are not meant to be. For example, in the book of Deuteronomy, I'll draw your attention to chapter 22, let me go there myself, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and uh, in in the the law of Moses here and in verse 9 you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard is defiled. So you can't You can't join these things together. You can't yoke them together. You can't mix them together in this instance. He says, you shall not plough an ox and a donkey. In other words, you can't get an uh, an ox and a donkey and put them on a yoke and have them labour together or work together. He says, you can't do that. You cannot yoke them together. And there's other aspects of mixture there as well. But you see um, that God forbids... And so Paul is taking these these concepts and he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We as Christians this morning, we are called to holiness. And so we are not to be joined with them. And he goes on to illustrate this and by way in which he says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? If the world is living in disobedience and rebellion against God and conducts itself uh, in breaking his law continually, and we as Christians are now righteous in God, how much more should we be living righteous? So how can the two mix together? They they can't, obviously. These are rhetorical questions. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? None. There is no connection. And so he says in verse 15, What harmony has Christ with the devil? None. <laughs> I know, you guessed it, right? None. There's none. There's no connection whatsoever. And so, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? None. None. In the fact that we are not to share in their sins, we are not to identify with their way of life that is contrary to the word and will of God. And so we're called to be separate. That's the whole emphasis that Paul is making. He says, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? none you see so and 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 the temple and we are we are the temple he says we're the temple of the living God and so it's very important that we are mindful of those things that we are identifying with you see when I first became a Christian it didn't I didn't have to say someone tell me what I what the do's and don'ts are you know what I mean it's like I grew up in music and and, uh, loved music and so I would be part of all the worldly things that were in music but you know when I got saved I didn't go to those worldly concerts anymore. I didn't want to be part of those things and identify with those aspects in the manner in which I did and so there was a separation that was beginning to identify itself and should be identifying itself in our lives. And so the distinctions could not be clearer in what Paul is identifying here. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Meaning that we are uh, uh, the temple of God. He dwells in us. I will be among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So therefore, verse 17, come out. Come out and be separate and don't touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. That word receive means to take in one's favour. And as children of God, we want the favour of God. We want to please, it should be we making our aim to please the Lord. And so in doing that, then we must order our conduct aright. The Bible says this in Psalm to he whom orders his conduct aright, they shall see the salvation of God. In terms that there's a there's a divine blessing that's associated with this. There's a divine favor that comes upon us when we conduct ourselves in a manner that is acceptable and obedient and pleasing in his sight. I will receive you and take you into favor, says God. And so the New Testament emphasis this morning on holiness and separation is nothing new. The principle is right throughout. The scriptures. And as I was pondering this particular scripture, my mind was reflecting upon various aspects that we find in the Bible itself. And so I thought it would be worthwhile this morning to identify scripturally speaking, because this aspect of separation is nothing new. It's right throughout the Bible itself uh, and uh, we must take note of it. And I think it would be important for us to see the pattern because when Paul writes this uh, to the Corinthians, he's quoting as well. And so he clearly has in in mind the holiness of God, the nation of Israel. He's got the Old Testament only that he's reflecting upon to, to, to inspire him to write in this manner. So let's consider some of these things that we see in the Old Testament. I'm going to start with Genesis 6. <laughs> now, I'm not going to go into Genesis 6, okay? I'm just going to state myself here. But I do believe that... that um, Genesis 6 is a, is a mixing of the, the believer with the unbeliever, the godly lie, seed with the ungodly seed. And I know that there's all these controversies, but the way that I see it is this, is that as that mixture began to come into effect in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that the wickedness of man became great. Of man. okay. The Lord was sorry that he made man. The concept of of angels having sex with women and having offspring, is, God produces according to each one according to their kind. I can't accept that. God, He says, the wickedness of man, and it was man that He had made, and so He said, I will destroy man. For, for their sin, and so the whole reason is because they had all become corrupt. Up until then, you had the godly the seed, so to speak, and, uh, and the, that intermingling was not there, but when they saw the daughters of men, and that they were pretty, they, began to in, they married of whom all that they desired, and this corrupted the, the seed of mankind even more to the point where God said, that's enough, and that's when we had the flood, and God wiped out the whole human race. But Noah found grace in his sight. But you see, the principle here this morning is one of holiness, separation. And this is what we find because where there's a mixture, where the two become yoked together, then the corruption will always manifest as this Bible tells us and reveals to us. And so... We can consider, excuse me, Israel as a nation. Remember, God chose the nation of Israel. This is now after, through Abraham and the whole process. And so, in doing so, He said to them as Israel, when He took them out of Egypt through Moses, He says, I'm calling you to myself. I'm going to establish establish you as a nation. And He calls them a holy nation. You are to separate yourselves unto me. When you go into the land that I'm going to give you to possess, you are to dispossess, you are to destroy, to kill, to wipe out the inhabitants of that land and uh, you are not to intermarry with them, you are not to participate with them, you are not to unite with them, you are not to be unequally yoked. And so where they compromised was where eventually those things came back to bite them. And so there's the principle there. But you see, they were called to be a holy nation separated unto God. And so Moses is making this point, or God is making through Moses this point. And I want to highlight some of these things. So in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, in verse 14, the Bible says these words. Exodus 34, excuse me, verse 14. It says, "For you, God is speaking, he says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. That's why we're called, God says be holy, because he's a jealous God. And we'll see this manifest itself later. But he says in verse 15, Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make... Sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. In other words, God is saying you are not to intermarry. You are not to be unequally yoked because if you do, you will drift up aside and you'll begin to practice idolatry and do things that you ought not to be doing. And so God is setting this principle of separation. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, it is reiterated further. So here's Moses speaking to the children of Israel again and you have in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Verse number three, these words. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and you destroy you suddenly. So again, God's making it clear, do not be unequally yoked. Do not intermarry with them. And he goes on in verse 6, uh, sorry, in, as well. It says, it says, there's these words, For you are a holy nation, or a holy people, to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. See the, the emphasis a special treasure above all the peoples of the on the face of the earth, and as it applies to Israel, so it applies to you and I, as the Scripture tells us in Corinthians this morning. And so we begin to identify that. And so when you look at Israel's history, you find a sad tale of 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 corruption, of yoking together with with the other, with the unbeliever and with other nations, and the corruption that there came thereof. And uh, you even see it in Solomon, one of the great kings of the of the nation of Israel. He loved all these uh, foreign women. The Bible says, and and um, and they turned his heart. They turned his heart. In first, in fact, in first, let me read it to you. In First Kings, chapter eleven, verse one. For, uh, first Kings. I should mark these, shouldn't I? So I don't have to find them. But um, in, fir- in the book of First Kings, chapter eleven, the Scripture says, verse one, says, but, the, "But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and Amorites, Edomites and Sidonians, and the Hittites." From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts to their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. You see, this is the issue. They will steal your heart. And this is, God's called us to be holy, separated, to love him because he first loved us. And yet, when we, are, when we act in this way, we are unfaithful to him. And so you know the story goes on. You think it would uh, it's a sad tale in fact and on—and uh, here it is Israel disobeys God. They go into captivity and uh, ultimately God sends them off to Babylon. Then there is those that uh, um, are coming back to the land led by Ezra. One, 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 one um, group led by Ezra and the other group later by Nehemiah. And as they are reestablishing the nation back in Israel and rebuilding the temple and and the walls of Jerusalem, these are the things... It's funny because you read it and then the scripture highlights some, some of these aspects. And you think, why is there highlighting that? But because for good reason, because it goes to the heart of our text this morning. That's why I want to read it to you. But so in Ezra chapter 9, listen to what the Bible says and what Ezra is saying. I mean, he'd done so much good for the nation and God was working in their midst... But this is what happened in Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the, the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. They're unequally yoked. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. And in verse 3, he says, So when I heard this, I tore my garment. And my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. How could, because Ezra's saying, Ezra's thinking, he says, you know what, God judged us. We were kicked out of the land because of these very issues, and now we brought us back, and you're going back to the same? And, and, and so he sits down, he pulls his hair out of his head and his beard from his face. I mean, he is distressed. He's astonished, he's astounded. And it's the leaders and the rulers that are foremost in these issues of, and are failing to separate themselves. In Nehemiah, we find there's something similar. Nehemiah comes after Ezra. He comes in and he rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And then he has to deal with some issues internally, and in verse in chapter thirteen he has to deal with with these issues of uh, of separation for them, and in verse twenty three. It says, "In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod, and could not speak the language of Judah." but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them. I struck some of them and I pulled out their hair. Can you imagine that? See, the pastor can get frustrated on the pulpit sometimes. (laughs) That's a joke, but the point being is is that... um, as a father or as a, as a pastor or anyone that you're seeking, these are the issues. I mean, Nehemiah, he, he, he responds and he says, they struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons, or their sons for yourselves. You see, and it goes on, actually, you can read that. Did not Solomon do the same? Yet he, among the nations there was none like him who was beloved of his God. But he wasn't faithful to God. And so you can see that Paul, when he writes, I'm sure that he has, sent, he has love for them. We've already established that. But I'm sure he's frustrated at their conduct and the things that they're doing. And he's appealing to them, listen, separate yourselves. Be holy. And you see it right through the Bible as I've illustrated these things and, and what's required of us. And so sure we've looked at it in in one in, in one aspect in terms of, you know, um, not to be married to an unbeliever. But that's that's one aspect. That's only one aspect in terms of the for the Christian don't be unangly yoked. but the, the principles that Paul's talking about here are far wider and deeper than just that it's the way we conduct ourselves from day to day it's the way it's where where what are we participating in uh, when in our leisure and what we do and the things that we allow ourselves to be partakers of because this is where we're called to be holy and separated this morning and so there's also a spiritual component to this aspect of marriage. Because what, this, what did we look at the other week? That we are married to who? Christ. If we're married to Christ, shouldn't it be that we are faithful? Are we not referred to as the bride of Christ? Are we not to be a bride that is separate and faithful to our Lord and to our husband, being Christ Himself? And this is what Paul's uh, addressing. Isn't it interesting? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to the church of Corinth again, and he's appealing to them in these terms when he says, in verse, uh, in verse um, did I say 1 Corinthians? I meant 2 Yeah, chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, You see, remember we read before that God is a jealous God. Paul was jealous too, because jealousy is is when jealousy is holy, it's pure. It is commendable. I I I I get jealous for my wife. That's a that's a good thing. I mean, in its purest sense, I know that there's the other aspect where people go over and it's unhealthy, and I get that. But I'm highlighting the pure element. Okay because that's the God is a jealous God. He's not going to share his bride with the, and allow them to be, you know, unequally yoked. No, you're to be a faithful um, bride to me. And this is what Paul is touching upon. And he's uh, in 2 Corinthians when he says to them, "For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ." a chaste virgin to Christ. We have to be holy. We have to be separate. We have to live faithfully to, to love and to serve the Lord this morning. And so this is why we're told not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, again, I know I'm going through a few scriptures here this morning, so bear with me. But I want to uh, do this rather than focus just on one and, and you know, pull it all apart too deeply. I just want to highlight them to illustrate the greater principle as i have been seeking to do but look at 1 corinthians chapter 6 1 corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 or 12 sorry he said paul says all things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful all things are lawful for me but not all things oh, sorry but i will not be brought under the power of any he says food is for the stomach and the stomach's for food but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You know, what's the purpose of a stomach? It has one purpose, doesn't it? To digest food. The food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. <laughs> that's the way God created it. But you see, that's, that's God's going to destroy that. But you see, the Bible says is that the Lord is for the body, and the body is for the Lord. And we're the temple. Actually, I won't waste ahead. head. Listen. So this is where we find exclusively now God has rights to us. And we belong to him. Let's look at it. And so, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? This is what we're talking about. Members married to him. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly Not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Flee. In other words, it's going to take sometimes all your effort. <laughs> Run. Flee. Flee. And, uh, if that, and uh, regardless, don't put yourself in compromise and, and difficult situations. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Look at verse 19. Do you not know that you are, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have in you and you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, Paul is saying, you are obligated to be holy. Do not be unequally. Come out and be separate, says the Lord, because we belong to God now. It's very simple, but this is, this is how it all is. Isn't it interesting that the context of that is, goes all the way back to chapter 5 in First Corinthians where there was in the church there was sexual immorality and Paul says to the church, you need to judge this, you need to exercise some biblical discipline in the church and so they said because he's unrepentant and won't turn from his sin, you need to cast him out of the church, remove him. And that's what we need in a modern church today as well because you know what, be holy, be separate you can't be unequally yoked in that manner. And so isn't it interesting that uh, in chapter 5, Paul goes on to say, he says, immorality defiles a church. And he says these words. What does leaven do? Leavens the lump. And so the lump is Holy. And God will not allow leaven, will not allow leaven into the lump because if it does, it permeates. That's why if we don't judge sin and we don't judge these issues as instructed by God, then it will permeate. That's why you have Nehemiah and Ezra and others that are acting in these extreme measures because in so too, when it comes to the Church of God, where these things exist and ought not to, then there needs to be godly discipline because the leaven will leaven the lump. So you've got to remove the sin to keep the lump holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, again, deals with similar issues, but I'm just highlighting them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Finally, brethren... That uh, you should abound more and more, uh, uh, and you ought to know how you ought to walk and to please God. There it is, how you should ought to know how to walk and please God. For you know what you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's legalism. No. What is it? He says, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness." that you should abstain from sexual immorality and each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And we're living in a world that's filled with lust and perversion and sexual immorality. And he goes in verse 7, For God has not called us to uncleanness but in holiness. Holiness. He's not called us to uncleanness, but holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject God, man, but God who has given us also his Holy Spirit. You see, we must accept and we must heed and we must obey and the, and, and the instructions and these commandments of God in, in relation to these things and live in holiness. Which brings me to the last point that I want to make and I appreciate your patience this morning. Um, and it's in our text, and it's in verse verse 1 of chapter 7, because this is a really interesting portion of Scripture. Because Paul writes, and he says clearly in these words, he said, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, what are the promises that he's referring to? We have these promises. This is, this is the motivation. We have, we have God. We have an inheritance. We have promises from God. I'm the, he, 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 will, he dwells in me. And uh, um, he has redeemed me. He has saved me. I have eternal life. I'm saved from hell and from my sin and from condemnation. I am now forgiven in Christ. And so we have all of these exceedingly precious promises. And in light of those things, amen, that should be the motivator for us to say, you know what, I want to live a life that's pleasing to God and I want to obey him and I want to be holy. And he says, let us cleanse ourselves. Listen to those. Let us cleanse. Cleanse ourselves. There's the human responsibility. There lies the, 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 um, the effort that is required of us in this context. Let us cleanse ourselves. From, and he listened to this from what? From, fil- from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice flesh and spirit. Because holiness is not just an external thing in terms of those aspects. But rather it is internal. Because you know what the attitudes of, if we're not like, holiness is likeness unto God. So if we've got attitudes of hatred and bitterness and uh, and other attributes of pride and arrogance and those things that are related to the spirit, then we have to cleanse ourselves even of those things because they are unholy. And so we have to deal with these things. He says that word filthiness of the flesh, that word filthiness means stains. Stains. You know, we as Christians can have stains. Stains of sin. The stains of, un, of of being unequally yoked, the stains of disobedience, the stains of sin that can attach themselves to our lives, filthiness. Isn't it interesting? Because James says in his book, he says, "pure and undefiled religion before God." And I've always found this interesting that the two go. To, he names these two together, because it's just you'd think what was one got to do with the other. But he says, pure and undefiled religion before God is vid- visiting orphans in their, widows and orphans in their distress and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. To keep yourself unspotted from the world. That's pure and undefiled religion before God. And so isn't it interesting that James uses those two together and the spirit of God? And so, because uh, unspotted. So when there's filthiness, there's a stain. And we can be stained as God's people. And, uh, but thank God that we have one who is a stain remover. Hallelujah. And that's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it, those stains are removed those stains even in Christ that we uh, that uh, we have where we have been stained by sin and the filthiness of the flesh and spirit can be cleansed thank God for that by the blood of Jesus but see, but, but but Paul's not focusing on Jesus's part he's focusing on our part he says let us let us cleanse ourselves for more filthiness of the flesh and spirit. In other words, we have to examine our lives and say, so, you know what, Does, should I really be doing that? Should I really be going there? Is that, oh, all things are lawful for me. Yeah, sure, you can go, but is that, is that going to be edifying? Some things are blatantly wrong. Then there's other things that may be questionable, but you need to consider, is this helpful? Is it really, okay. Uh, and so, uh, because um, as we examine these things, you, you have to make choices and decisions in relation to the way in which we live and conduct ourselves. And, um, <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. See, Jude, in the book of Jude, gives a, um, an interesting description as well of this when he says in verse... 22 and he says on some have compassion making a distinction but others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even their the garment defiled by the flesh their garment can be defiled christians our garments can be stained with filthiness of the flesh and spirit and so thank god that we have um that aspect of the blood of Jesus, if we confess our sins, is faithful, and that's great. But you know, we also have our part where we have to cleanse ourselves. You're going to have to make decisions. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to take the way of escape of temptation or whatever it is that's required that you have to do, but be, come out, come out and be separate. See, Christians have become so many ways like chameleons. But God hasn't called us to be chameleons. What connection does light have with darkness? Too many Christians live in the grey area. No, no, let's make it black and white. Let's make the distinctions clear. And so, pulling them out of the fire, meaning have mercy on them, but hate the sin that's defiling their flesh. So, so, in the final analysis, in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. You know, this is interesting, again, because that word perfect there in the Greek, it means to complete, to perform, to finish. So, This is the, the emphasis of, 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 of what's required of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And you know what makes this interesting? Is in the book of, um, in, in the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 the Bible says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ You know that word complete is the same word in the Greek as perfected so complete complete holiness so it's like when one in one scripture God the, the Bible's telling us to, to for us to complete holiness, And in another scripture, the Bible's telling us that he will perfect or he will complete the work that he has begun. And they say, well, are they contradicting each other? No, the two work together. We can't do it without him and he can't do it without us. And so it's in work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. And these 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 tensions they work together. And yes, if you have if you go too far on this side and ten, the tensions too too strong on there, you there's an overemphasis and then that's when you can any truth taken to extreme becomes an error. Or you have those that emphasize this tension. But you see when you have the tensions in tension, and as God has them in balance, they two work together for his great purpose in us. Can you see that this morning? And so the last words here is in the fear of God. In the fear of God. You say, oh, you trying to make fear a motivating factor? Yeah. But what kind of fear are we talking about? Because the Bible's clearly making the point. Paul is emphasising it. And the word here, and I read it from the Vines Dictionary because it gives us it over. He says it's a fear of God as a controlling motive of the life in matters spiritual and moral. Not a mere fear of his power and righteous retribution, which is always healthy but a wholesome dread of displeasing him. You know, if, 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 if we're saved and we're, and we're his children, God's saying to us, come out and be separate. And we know His standard, and so we should have a holy fear that says, you know what, I am obligated and I need to obey him. I need to, I need to serve God. I need to live for the Lord. I need to do what's right because I fear God. <clears throat> my, my reverence for him is such that how can I sin against him? Uh, that's the ideal. Not that we all live that way. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and so I, I pray you see the point this morning of these things. And so do we, all, do we fear God as we ought to? A healthy fear is good, church. The Bible says about the early church that they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the two come together. Could you imagine being around, could you imagine being at church and then Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they, were, they, uh, they lie to God and then God kills them right there and then. And the Bible says great fear came upon the early church. Great fear. In fact, you can read through the book of Acts and you'll find that, that great fear came upon the church multiple times and God was the initiator. God was setting that as the overarching aspect of Establishing his his presence, and in fact, they, they they feared God so much that they wouldn't even <coughs> associate, <coughs> me, with the apostles. <coughs> and um, because uh, you know they had a respect and a fear of God, and we need these things in the church today. I believe a healthy fear of God is good. And so, let us ask the question this morning. What areas of our lives need to be perfected? I didn't say perfect because none of us are going to be perfect until Jesus comes or takes us home and then we'll be perfected in that way. But we always must be seeking to complete. We always must be seeking to be perfected and to move on and to go on because none of us have arrived, let's be honest, none of us. It doesn't matter how old we are here today. There's issues that if we're honest before God, God will say, you know, you need to deal with this. You need to uh, address that in this, in this context of holiness this morning. And so let's pray. Ask the Lord's blessing this morning. I thank you for your patience. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. God, I'm asking you, Father, to take the word this morning. Lord, that you would uh, penetrate our hearts. And our minds Lord that you God would just burn this truth into us God because it's a serious ass issue and it does require effort from our part Lord we have a part and a responsibility in this whole process uh, in holiness and so Lord let us perfect holiness in the fear of God Lord let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit let us God uh, take an attitude And have an attitude, Lord, that is required in this process. So, Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.